Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Taking a cue from Wall Street, Asia-Pacific stocks are mixed in early trade this morning. Seoul is trending higher. The Kospi is up 0.3%. Sydney is in the red, though, as is Tokyo, where the Nikkei is down a quarter percent. Investors have their eyes on the China and Hong Kong markets to see if a rally yesterday can gather steam. And here at home, the markets are a buzz over Keppel's bid to buy SPH. Joining me now to break down all these stories and more is Ryan Huang. Good morning, Ryan. Morning, Michelle. The big news in local markets this morning continues to be the shakeout from Keppel Corp's bid to purchase Singapore Press Holdings, or more accurately, all of SPH's non-media assets, including shopping malls in Singapore and Australia, student accommodation in the UK and Germany, a nursing home chain here in Singapore, as well as investments in education and in the event business. Now, the deal is valued at $3.4 billion. Of that sum, Keppel is putting up a bit more than $1 billion in cash and $1.1 billion dollars worth of Keppel REIT shares, so not all in cash. Ryan, the proposed deal values SPH at a bit more than $2 per share. So what are analysts saying about the offer price? Does it appear fair and are investors likely to accept it? Yeah, so that's a good question, right? It is a bit of a, well, I guess, a mix of stuff in this package and you have to digest the details. So short answer is yes. Analysts are pretty much in favour of this deal and widely seen as attractive for both sides, a bit of a win-win situation. And if you look at some of the headlines coming out, you've got things from the range of, uh, for SPH shareholders, Capital's offer is not perfect, but it is the best on the table. And that, I think, is a very good summary of what is happening here. You've got an offer here that will give SPH shareholders some clarity uh, because this is in the wake of the recent announcement where SPH says, it is going to be hiving off its media arm. And this now will give clarity for SPH shareholders in terms of the non-media side. You've got Capital pretty much buying up the entire package of assets. And it's interesting as well because this Capital offer was one of nearly 20 offers on the table. And SPH decided that this was the best offer if you think about what was received. And they said they received offers to buy out parts of the company, uh, buy out some uh, percentage of the company, some partial sale of assets or the entire company. And they decided this was the least disruptive as well as the option that will maximize returns for shareholders. So that, in essence, is why they think it's going to be win-win for everyone involved because capital will be able to build on the assets of SPHS um, property plays, for example, riding the retail recovery picture with some of the malls that SPH owns uh, on top of what Keppel already owns, like I-12 Katong, and also the data center assets at Gunting Lane. That is something that Keppel will be able to build on as well and consolidate some of the existing joint partnerships, for example, with M1. So a couple of synergies uh, at play here as a result of this deal. Of course, uh, this still has to be voted on, so not a done deal yet. 
Indeed, and is contingent as well on the sale of the media assets from SPH. SPH, currently owner of this radio station, and it says that more than 20 groups made bids for its business before Keppel emerged as the winner. Now, Keppel, which is backed by Tamasic, has operations that include rig building, infrastructure and renewable energy. You mentioned a couple of areas of possible synergies. Now, if this acquisition of SPH goes through, what do you think this will mean broadly for Keppel's business and does this appear to be a good fit? Okay, it seems like this will pan out according to Capo's vision. And it says this is actually part of his 2030 vision, or what's called Vision 2030. And this is all part of um, becoming more asset light as well as um, building on past moves. You might remember they sold off or hived off their offshore marine business and kind of pivoted to other areas, more asset-like areas in the space of, for example, energy. And it also tried to build on some of its um, new properties, for example, in the area of um, the new business, new digital business with data centers. So that does give Keppel more avenue to grow. And it says uh, with its asset monetization plan in place, the group could also pivot to new growth engines because with the new assets, for example, with the acquisition of PBSA assets, the student accommodation assets, it could in future make this into a REIT. And that could also see the monetization of these assets bring in more cash flow or more money if they decide to sell some of those assets they pick up. So a few options there in terms of bringing in additional money for capital, which they could then recycle to put into play in new growth engines. So it is opening up a lot of options for capital. Yeah, we talked about what it means for Keppel and I suppose for investors receiving SPH REITs and Keppel REITs also means that shareholders will be able to jump in on this recovery upside of the retail and commercial property sectors as well. Now, as we mentioned, it's not a done deal. So what are the next steps? Are analysts expecting any regulatory hurdles and do they think investors at both companies will accept the deal? Okay, and that is a tough one that only the shareholders will be able to answer. So, in effect, you need a couple of things to happen. So, you need an EGM that is expected sometime in the next two months to vote on this deal. And then you have this deal actually contingent on the SPH um, having off of the media arm. That needs to happen in order for this capital deal to happen. So, it is that contingent and that is going to be happening in terms of a voting process as well sometime in the fourth quarter of this year and all in we could see this being wrapped up by the end of this year or maybe early next year so that's a rough sense of where we are in terms of timelines yeah until then we'll be debating to what extent is this an opportunity to fully realize investors you know investments to realize investments post media demerger one more question at last week's earnings briefings Keppel's officials teased the possibility of new M&A activity and they specifically mentioned possible deals in the renewable energy sector which SPH is not so do you think Keppel still has other acquisitions up its sleeve? Well, that is a big question. And 
it is looking like, at least in terms of trajectory, uh, where it might be headed. If you look at the past deals in place, uh, not too long ago, it was trying to get Tomasic involved in you know, building out its business when it went through a very tough time of its results. And then you had the Semcorp Marine deal where it sold off its offshore marine business. And you now have this deal. And you can kind of see there's a series of M&A deals happening in the past few months and years, and it is unlikely to be the last one. So keep your fingers or keep your eyes peeled for any new deals happening with the capital, um, I guess, transition period, because it is mm. all part of a wider vision, Vision 2030, where it's trying to pivot to more renewable and sustainable areas of growth. And I think that really is being underlined with the selling off of his rig building business. It is moving to a new growth area. Indeed. We will be keeping a very close eye on SPH and Keppel shares as they resume trading today. Let's turn now to the United States where stocks kicked off the month of August with a session of choppy trade. The Dow and the S&P 500 finished lower. The Nasdaq eked out a small gain. Investors are waiting for the release of the latest jobs numbers on Friday. But in the meantime, there are several other indicators for them to assess starting with manufacturing. So it looks like, Ryan, the U.S. manufacturing sector is expanding, but the pace of growth is softening. So what's the latest here? All right. It is a bit of a speed bump when it comes to the recovery picture. And that is now with the latest ISM index of national factory activity falling to 59.5. That is the lowest reading since January. And this means it's growing, it's still growing, but at a slower pace in July. And that is now slower for a second straight month. So mm. a couple of things happening here. You've got raw material shortages, that problem is still persisting. Uh, but the good news is some signs of the supply chain bottlenecks easing. So it is still quite a delicate picture, but um, all in going by the headlines, it is showing slower growth and reinforcing the narrative that maybe the boom times of the recovery is over. Now, another indicator that is on the rise is the number of people traveling in the U.S. Air travel has hit a post-pandemic high with more than 2.2 million people traveling. That figure is still below 2019 levels, though. However, with more and more Americans flying during their summer holidays, U.S. airlines are facing difficulties. Tell us more. Yeah, so very reflective of how the economy is reopening. Some travel is reopening, at least in the U.S. And that is being reflected with the sharp spike in travel numbers. 2.2 million people, like you pointed out. And that means more people going through the gates, going through checks, the customs. And that actually is causing its own problems. More people straining the system. So that's leading to delays and flight cancellations because... People, uh, the airlines are just not able to cope with this sharp spike. And you might remember not too long ago, they actually laid off people. So you do mm. have a bit of an issue here when it comes to staffing. They are short-staffed. And you also have, on top of that, bad weather. So that is causing more problems in terms of cancellations for these travellers. So it's a bit of a happy problem because the demand is there, but the supply is not able to meet it yet. 
Yeah. Interestingly, airline officials in the U.S. say they have not seen bookings fall in spite of the rise of cases because of the Delta variant. Now, one last note from the U.S., a third indicator that is rising, of course, the number of COVID-19 cases. The U.S. Center for Disease Control says the seven-day average of daily cases has surpassed the peak that was hit last summer. There are now 73,000 new COVID-19 cases in the U.S. every day. While each city and state has their own rules, officials are not expecting any sort of general lockdown. Again, I want to touch on the U.S. before we move forward, and this concerns the U.S. Federal Reserve. One of the Fed's governors is indicating that the Fed could start slowing down its bond purchases as early as October. Walk us through his thinking. Yeah, you mentioned October. The context to this is in the past few weeks, people are just penciling in December. So this moves forward the timeline somewhat for that tapering approach. And now you have Governor Christopher Waller from one of the Fed uh, banks, the regional banks, uh, saying he is expecting this to start sometime in the next two months. And this will be off the back of what it sees as possibly strong recovery in the U.S. labor picture. And uh, this is now with the Friday jobs monthly report in focus. So if it does show around 800,000 or more, it will give the Fed more reason to start tightening policy. If it's showing a strong number, it means recovery is well underway and there is no strong need as much as before to support the economy. So that will be a strong signal for markets to start thinking that maybe the Fed will kick off its tapering program. So the next one or two jobs reports in the coming two months will be in strong focus because of how that will feed into the Fed's thinking. Starting this Friday. Now, I want to turn now to Chinese stocks. As we've been discussing on the show in recent weeks, Chinese share prices have come under significant pressure as Beijing tightens rules on big tech. The education sector tightening pretty much on property as well. Yesterday morning in Market View Minute, we asked whether there were bargains to be found in this sector. And it seems that many investors have gone looking for bargains as well. The benchmark CSI 300 had its best day yesterday since May, while Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index rose as well. So Ryan, which companies were amongst the top gainers? Yeah, after a rather bad week, you've got the Shanghai last week, Shanghai Composite losing uh, more than 4% last week. And now, a bit of buying on the dips. And that is playing out in consumer shares and things like White Wine, Kui Chao, Mao Tai, uh, Wang Ye Ye, Yibin. Those stocks are up at least 4%, at least on uh, Monday. And you've got some of the industrial and infrastructure plays also in doing well. So quite a bit of relief buying. So that is now playing out and. You have to bear in mind, though, the markets have been so sensitive to the headlines around the regulatory clamp down, it might not take a lot for them to be spooked again. So you have to really watch this space because it is so volatile right now in Chinese markets. In another possibly positive sign, the Chinese electric vehicle maker Li Auto is pushing ahead with a new listing. It's looking to raise nearly two billion US dollars in Hong Kong. This is another case of US listed Chinese companies pivoting to Asia. So Ryan, how is this listing likely to be received? Okay, going by 
what we saw with um, its rival Xpeng. Actually, it is follows in the footsteps of footsteps of uh, Xpeng, which uh, not too long ago in June also went for a dual listing. So it is like you pointed out, paving the way for more Chinese companies going back. Uh, well, it's closer to home. Uh, so this is in the backdrop of how the U.S.-China tensions have been putting the focus on Chinese overseas listings, the SEC in the U.S. calling for more disclosures, and also China regulators clamping down on these um, Chinese companies, um, raising funds with their own um, agenda. Mm-hmm. So that now is, I think, giving more motivation to the likes of Li Auto to do their secondary listings in Hong Kong. And I think going by what Xpeng or how Xpeng performed, they think it's um, reason enough to feel confident that enough investor appetite is there for them to go back for a secondary listing. So I think that is a way of hedging their risk because anything might happen. You might see them being delisted in the US if things take a turn for the worse. Thanks very much. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.